Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Daniel Nevins, and we're studying today Tractate Ketubot 75, Daf Ayin Hey, Amud Aleph and Bet. Here's some questions. Who is more eager to be married, a man or a woman? In the world of the sages, the answer is obvious. A woman wants to be married even to a flawed man since he provides food and fatherhood for her children. What flaws in a woman could invalidate her marriage? Lots of sweat? Bad breath? Big breasts? And who must prove at what point awareness of these flaws became apparent? We'll also look at a fascinating little aside that deals with the relative merits of the sages of Babel, Babylonia, and of Eretz Israel. This and more will be found in our diverse daf of Gemara. Now, back on 74, we began this interesting discussion based on the ideas of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Eliezer to Tanaim about whether men want their women to go to court or not to go to court in order to prove that, uh, their, that their vow was invalid and therefore their marriage can be preserved. Here on uh, page A of 75, we get into an interesting little conversation that speaks about whether the nature of their families has something to do with it. Now, here's the thing. If the marriage was invalidated retroactively so it never happened, then the man is still allowed to marry other relatives of his almost wife. However, if their marriage was considered to be valid and now has been ended with a divorce, then her immediate family is considered to be ineligible for him to marry. And what happens if she comes from a big family? Uh, She's an Isha Chashuva. She's a woman from a prominent family. Maybe he wants to marry her sister still. So he didn't, they didn't work out, but he wants to marry someone else. Now, the sages said, well, maybe it goes the other way too. Maybe the woman also is saying that, well, he's from a prominent family, so it's in my interest for the marriage to have been invalidated from the outset so that maybe I could marry someone else in his family, perhaps his brother. After giving this somewhat egalitarian possibility of equality, the sages say, now, woman always wants to be married. Um, and they've got this statement of Reish Lakish. Te'amar Reish Lakish, tav lemetav tandu tav armalu. This is apparently an Aramaic expression, better to sit together in tandem than to sit alone. So uh, there's a lot of debate about some of these words, are they Persian words, tandu? Um, but the point here is that Reish Lakish is saying that women always want to be married. Some of the other sages have different ways of saying the same point. Abaya says, the shumshimana gava, a man who's little, I guess like a sesame seed, kursei becharata ramila. Even so, even if a woman is married to a, a very um, diminutive man, still she gets to put her chair together with the other married women and to sit there like a queen. Rav Papa says, the nafsa gava 
Even if the man has some repulsive uh, occupation, I guess he maybe uh, takes uh, wool and dyes it. Nevertheless, she calls him over at the end of the day and they sit on the stoop together. In other words, in all these cases, the woman is saying, I don't care really about what kind of a work my husband does, how tall he is, anything like that. I just want to be married. Rav Ashi Amar um, she says, you know, um, so Ravashi says, even a, uh, the most inadequate man nevertheless um, helps her to get food. And Tana, we taught, um, in all these cases, the woman has some food from her husband, and she also, uh, according to the commentaries here, um, gets to say that he's my children's father, and in that way, um, it's good enough. We can debate whether this is true or not, and whether the sages were accurate reporters of the mindset of the women of their time, but it certainly is a window into their mindset about gender relations. Now the page goes on here on Ahmed Aleph, page A, speaking about what types of blemishes in a woman would invalidate their marriage if the husband had said, I marry you on condition that you have no blemishes. It gives examples such as uh, she's very sweaty, or she's got a body odor or bad breath. And the rabbis say, you know, aren't these also a problem with kohanim? I guess you couldn't have a kohen do the service if they were schwitzing, if they were sweating too much. And the sages say, well, it depends whether it's temporary or permanent. I guess some people are sweating constantly, and maybe therefore they can't be a kohen, and they might also be repulsive as a spouse. <laughs> they get into a somewhat... Uh, humorous debate about ways of covering up bad breath by putting a uh, spicy pepper in one's mouth, uh, which could be done temporarily as a kohen while you're doing your sacrifice, but perhaps wouldn't be a satisfactory solution for the course of an entire marriage. Our sages next get into a discussion about skin afflictions and whether they were visible and therefore he should have anticipated them and it would not invalidate their marriage or they were hidden maybe under her hair, and therefore he didn't discover them until later. And then they get into a very strange and somewhat humorous conversation about, uh, about the gap between a woman's breasts and whether those, uh, a large gap is considered to be uh, a mum or not. And I'm just going to let you study that on your own if you are interested. Now, on this page, there's a little aside after we've talked about the subject I just mentioned in the name of a rabbi named Mayasha Barbari to Rishua bin Levi, there's this beautiful little passage, which I'm going to read. It says, uh, quoting a verse in, in Psalm 87, something about Zion, a person who was born there is considered to be um, very high up. So this verse is understood to be speaking about Sheva Ha'aretz, sort of the, the beauty, the, the power of the land that it exalts its inhabitants. So the same rabbi, Rabbi Maisha Bari de Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, says, Whether you were born in Zion or you even had the, the privilege of actually seeing it, either way, you are sort of exalted. You become a greater person, a greater sage in this case. And then Abai, a sage who lives, of course, in Babylonia, says in a similar vein that one of their scholars is as good as two of ours. Now, this is interesting because the Babylonian rabbis are 
pretty self-confident, but he, Abai, one of the greatest of them, says that, you know, we're not as great as the sages of Israel. This doesn't sit well with Rava. Rava says to him, V'chad minan kisalik lahatam adiv minayhu. You know, that may be, Abai, but if one of us goes there and then gets that sort of jolt of Eretz Yisrael energy, we become greater than two of them. And now they even have a story that sort of proves their point. Daha uh, Rabbi Yirmiya, because there was this Rabbi Yirmiya who was born in Babylonia and was not much, apparently was not considered one of the greater sages there. Uh, it says, When he was here with us, he didn't know anything what the rabbis were saying. He was adult. Uh, but when he went there, he made Aliyah, he moved to Israel, Karilan Bavle Tubshai. Then he said that we were the stupid Babylonians. Now, this could just be a little bit of chutzpah and Rabbi Yirmiya's point, but I think they're Melamed they're giving him credit that maybe, maybe it's true. He went to Israel and he became a greater sage. Amud Aleph ends with a Mishnah that continues on to Amud Bet. Uh, and so here it's an important Mishnah that says that if um, this girl has, a, uh, has some blemishes, some mumim, and she's still in her father's house. That is, uh, uh, he's not yet completed the marriage. He's just made the betrothal. Then the proof is on the father to say, you know, uh, she already had the blemishes when you made the proposal, and therefore it's on you, uh, and your field has been uh, flooded. In other words, you're the one who's got to deal with this. Um, whereas if uh, she's already entered into her husband's house, the husband uh, has the burden of proof to say that, uh, that the blemishes were before his marriage proposal, and he only discovered them later, and therefore it was a false sale, according to the mayor. Uh, the sages say, you know, what are we talking about here? We're only talking about hidden blemishes, let's say on her skin in an area that's hidden, that uh, there's no way he could have known about them beforehand. But if they're uh, on her face, let's say, or other types of blemishes, like she doesn't have a leg or something, uh, he should have been able to see that before, and, and he's not going to be able to invalidate his marriage proposal. And in fact, the, the Mishnah ends and says, if there's a public bathhouse in that town, he can't even claim about the hidden blemishes that they were hidden from him. He should have done his homework, not by peeping in on the women's bathhouse, but by asking his female relatives to check her out. And so this gives another window into the world of antiquity, that uh, there weren't private bathrooms, there were public bathhouses, and that everyone knew everyone else's business. And so it was a weak claim to say, I didn't know that she had a blemish, and therefore my marriage proposal is invalid, and therefore she can be divorced without any settlement. In all these cases, the sages are uh, paying attention to issues of physical blemishes, but not allowing them to go unchallenged. And in this way, they again are protecting the woman who is really more vulnerable to these types of accusations and perhaps also preserving marriages. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.